Eteti, eteta, inga karanga maha o te motu rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori current affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa kenei. Beaten at school for speaking te reo. Once you disempower indigenous people away from their language, then you disempower them from your culture, then you disempower from everything of who they are. Former Labour Minister Dover Samuels explains why a generation of Māori deserve an apology for the trauma they endured at the hands of the state. I mean, what would an apology mean for you? Without it, we don't honour those who really were the trailblazers in terms of standing up for Te Reo. We speak to COVID Response Minister Chris Hipkins. Then, personal choice versus public health. Māori health experts tackle misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. The first people that got it were old Pākehā white people. And if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't be giving it to them first. Tahuti mai. As more and more of our tamariki speak te reo Māori, it's almost impossible to imagine the violence their kaumātua experienced for doing the same. For Dover Samuels, the brutality he suffered at the hands of those entrusted with his education is still as painful today as it was when he was five. He's calling on the Crown to apologise for the physical punishment of Ngāpuhi children who he says literally had te reo Māori beaten out of them at school. Kitahuri tato. Dover Samuels is in his 80s now, but the trauma of being beaten for speaking te reo Māori at school still fills him with anger and pain. We used to get on our horse, the three or four of us, and go through the bush, bare feet, no shoes. Shoes was unheard of. And when we got to the gate, we got off our horses and we were met by the teacher. And the teacher made very clear, leave your language behind, Leave your culture behind, and of course, leave your horse behind. You come in here to learn English. And if you speak your L in the school grounds, right, you'll be strapped and you'll be caned. You'll be punished. Dover attended the Whakarara Native School at Matodi Bay in the 1940s. Well, if you have a look at the interpretation of native and you have a look at the way that it has been described and interpreted over the years, native has got a connotation of uncivilized, uncivilized people, right? And that's the overtones of it. And the policy went along with that. Very clearly, there was an agenda here. The name has changed, but the school still stands today. The gate is still here. There's a notice there. Reminds me of the notice that used to be on the old gate that was made out of tea tree at Manuka. Um, not as flash as this one. Uh, but instead of saying a gate closed at all times, it says you're not allowed to speak Māori at all times. There's not a lot of happy memories here for the former Labour Minister. Just sadness at how he and his classmates were treated. This original photo of the buildings in the school when I went to school, there would be only one or two of us that are still alive. 
and they were the pioneers. They were the ones, really, that took the brunt of the Crown's brutality upon that generation. And he believes that removing te reo was all part of a wider plan to brutally colonise the country. That was the beginning of a whole sequence of policies that attempted to disempower a Maori nation. Start from the youth, from the youngest first. Matua, you know, even trying to contemplate strapping a five or a six-year-old these days, you know, it's just not even in our understanding anymore. But as a five or six-year-old who was strapped for speaking te reo Māori, what was that like for you? We actually began to accept it as the norm, is that we were doing something wrong. Anybody, anybody will dob you in. Not necessarily that the teacher can hear you, speaking it himself or herself. But some of us were, were, were encouraged to dob others in. We just come out and say, oh, so he's speaking. Come to the front, right, bend over, and this cane had come out and whack. When you get a teacher, and I remember very six foot, swinging this, and you're bending over as a, a young child, and you see the bruising and sometimes the blood. I mean, you, you, you couldn't get away from it. And a lot of the swings went below the, the, the shorts and landed on your legs, on the back of your legs. And the welts were very obvious, were very obvious. For the children of Mathodi Bay School today. I'm gonna to share with you a little story. It's hard to imagine what it was like in the 1940s. When we came in through that gate, we were told by the teacher, do not speak Māori in this school. If you speak Māori, you're going to get this. Now, this is called a kareo. And when he hear you speaking Māori, come out, you bend over, and you get bang. And with the girls too, no difference. In 2015, Dover Samuels made a submission to the Waitangi Tribunal on behalf of all Ngāpuhi children caned at school for speaking te reo, asking for an apology, but none has been formally offered. I've heard people say, well, we were all already behind the, the bike shed and then, well, hang on, but you didn't get brutalised and caned for speaking your reo. You know, I can sort of understand that if, in fact, you're a naughty boy and I like becoming going to discipline. And here we are, uh, as young Māori children, part of the native school, being brutalised and whipped for no other reason but speaking our reo rangatira. You've been waiting for 70-odd 70, 70 years for an apology. Were you hopeful that it would come? I believe that a sincere apology and the recognition of the injustice by the Crown on what happened to that generation, to me, is not genuine and not complete if it doesn't actually understand the beginning of the journey. Tell me about the letters that you wrote to politicians. Um, what did you say in them and what were you hoping for? Well, it was to remind my colleagues in the government, and especially the Māori caucus, that there was a significant claim before the tribunal, not by me, but by their tūpuna and by those 
who actually began the journey. And um, what has the response been? Well, the response is that I'm talking to you, me. <laughs> um, and I know that there's been a lot of agendas, but I want to bring the consciousness of our politicians and our representatives back to the injustice that was deliberately put into place by the Crown. But there has been no recognition. People may think that apologies are now coming so, so fast that they become throwaway apologies. Uh, I would hope uh, that the apology that the Maori nation would get and that our tupuna and that our people who deserve, uh, that are no longer here to be able to hear physically uh, an apology, I think it should come from the throne. That's where the origins of it should begin. Dover Samuels is now 82, a kaumatua and a warrior who has fought to protect the reo Māori, a mantle he now passes to our rangatahi. I am inspired by this new generation and by the new consciousness awakening about the value of te reo Māori uh, and the need to ensure that it is enshrined within the, our society. You are an inspiration, Matua, because while they tried to beat te reo out of you, you retained your reo, you used your reo, and you became a teacher, and you've passed your reo on to so many generations now. So the culture, the language, and who you are as a Māori must remain intrinsic in your wairua, in your spirit. Otherwise, you lose who you are. Just to finish, Matua, I mean, what would an apology mean for you? Without it, we don't honour those who really were the trailblazers in terms of standing up for te reo. And quite frankly, uh, brutalised because that was the only offence they committed at an institution that was supposed to protect young children. This is where it began. Where it will end, I'm confident that the next generation, or even this generation now, are bringing about changes that are going to be irreversible. And that is the value of the Reo Māori. And that is the, the treasure that we have as a nation. Ko te reo te Māori o te mana Māori. And in response to that story, we received this statement from Minister for Māori Crown Relations, Calvin Davis. He said he's aware of Dover's call for an apology and acknowledges the mamai he and other children experience. The minister says being beaten for speaking te reo was wrong and it has also impacted on his own generation. He's made it a goal that every child in Aotearoa will have te reo Māori integrated into their learning by 2025, while te ahu o te reo Māori is a kaupapa focusing on lifting te reo capability of our teachers. Outside of treaty settlements, there has only ever been a small number of formal government apologies. Any decision around this would have to be made by Cabinet. Uh, the Minister says while he can't change the past, we can change the future, and he's committed to making sure the Māori language flourishes in years to come. Next, I speak to COVID-19 Response Minister Chris Hipkins.
Auraki Mai Anō. Māori now make up more than 14% of infections in the current Delta outbreak, second only to Pacifica, who make up 67%. But despite the alarming figures, Māori are still lagging behind in vaccination rates. I spoke to Minister for COVID-19 Response, Chris Hipkins. Kia ora kitato. So just before we start t- talking COVID, as Minister of Education, what are your thoughts um, around the Dover Samuels piece? Should Māori children beaten by state teachers for speaking te reo Māori, should they receive an, an apology? I think we should absolutely acknowledge that some pretty atrocious stuff happened in our education system towards Māori children in the past. Uh, the idea that they were beaten for speaking their own language in schools, and this is not the first time we've heard reports of this, is, is horrific. It, and, it's, and it is something that we should uh, consider when we think about the future. So an apology? Would you go that far? I mean, I think for him, you know, he, he wants the government to say it out loud he wants people to hear it well look, i've got no issue at all in me saying look i acknowledge what happened i acknowledge that it was wrong in terms of a formal crown apology i that's not a decision that i alone take obviously there's a process that uh, we go through when we consider that and a number of crown apologies have been issued to Māori for things that have happened to them in the past through the treaty settlement process, for example. Uh, so I, I'd never say that we shouldn't do something like that. But in terms of what I'm doing as Minister of Education, I think one of the best things I can do uh, is actually express our sorrow about what's happened previously by fixing it for the future. So we're putting a lot of uh, money and a lot of support into ensuring that every young New Zealander has the opportunity to learn Tereo Māori to make sure that we've got more Tereo Māori teachers in our classrooms, to make sure that even you know teachers who are teaching in English still actually can, can have some basic proficiency in Tereo Māori. So there's a big focus on that at the moment. We're, we're, talk, we're, teaching our, we're going to be teaching our, our own New Zealand histories in our schools so that we can all understand these things that have happened in the past. Tēnā koe e te minita e mihi ana ki a koe mō kupu. Let's talk vaccination. So the goal is to reach a 90% vaccination rate across Aotearoa. Um, we've got 60% of all New Zealanders have received their first jab, but just 36% of Māori have received theirs. So what's gone wrong? Well, we've got a challenge ahead of us to make sure that we're getting our Māori vaccination rates higher. But let's acknowledge some positive things first. The over 65 vaccination rate for Māori is very impressive. They're just shy of 90%. Um, That's where we're aiming to get everybody up, you know, above those kind of 90% markers. So we're seeing really strong leadership from our older Māori, and I want to acknowledge that. We know that Māori's overall age profile, though, is lower than the rest of the population. So they were typically slower coming into the vaccine programme because of the way we rolled it out by age cohorts. When the sequencing model prioritised over 30s above younger people, shouldn't you have known that that would exclude half of all Māori? Ultimately, we were um, prioritising risk first. So who are the people who are most likely to have an adverse outcome or who are the people most likely to get COVID-19 in the first place? Uh, and that was that disproportionately are elderly, uh, it's people who work at the border, uh, you know, people who are working on the front lines. And so we did prioritise those groups. And you saw when we moved to level four, we actually shifted up that prioritisation to say, uh, our frontline workers who are out there working during level four conditions should be prioritised th- at that point. And we absolutely did that. And that brought a, a, a greater degree of Māori who are working in some of those roles into that uh, system. You were told early on by Māori health experts that not only are Māori young, but they're also medically vulnerable, Māori and Pacifica. And the sequencing, should it have been new- more nuanced to capture that? Because what we've seen now is that 
COVID actually impacts Māori and Pacifica differently to all New Zealanders? I don't want to sort of discount the things that were happening in those early days. So a lot of money went into scaling up Māori health providers, for example. About nearly $40 million went into scaling up Māori health providers so that they could get out there and do more COVID-19 vaccination. And actually push back on some of the dog whistle criticism of them, uh, because uh, if you look at the numbers, they were vaccinating not just Māori, but actually a disproportionate number of non-Māori were being vaccinated at Marae and through our, our Māori health providers. And, you know, they've contributed enormously to the overall vaccination progress of the country. Now, I think they're unambiguously focused on how do we get our vaccination rates up for Māori. And, and I'm 100% behind them. And if they're doing new and innovative and different things, uh, then they'll have my complete support in that because we know we, we've got to do better there. What Māori experts were telling you, the uh, Te Rōpū Whakakaupapa Uruta uh, was telling you is that the, that the younger generation don't trust the government as much as non-Māori and they're going to be more difficult to reach. They're not listening to RNZ and the rest of it. They're on TikTok and they're on Facebook and they are down rabbit holes. So how are you going to get them? You know, if I take the, um, the workforce, for, for example, uh, we've worked over the last six months to bring in a more diverse vaccine workforce because young Māori are more likely to, uh, to feel confident receiving messages from other Māori, from other young Māori potentially as well. And so if we can make sure that they're reflected in the workforce, again, that, those are the sorts of things that will help to boost confidence and, and therefore boost people's come forward and be vaccinated. So we're talking about a 90% vaccination rate and we've got voices out there calling for the borders to open and just live with COVID-19. Uh, the issue for Māori and Pacifica people, when you look at the 67% of the, those impacted or infected in this latest outbreak are just Pacific alone, should it be 90% equity model or is, is it just 90%? Because if it's not equitable and if it's not across Māori, Pacific and other communities and vulnerable communities, then those are the people who are going to be in hospitalised and die. One of the reasons that the government has never set a formal target, now I'm aware 90% sort of gained a bit of traction over the last week because, you know, some of the media have latched onto it and various commentators have been arguing about whether or not we, that's the right number. The reality is we've never set a particular target because you've got to look at the, the nature of the unvaccinated population when you're making decisions about the future around COVID-19. Because within that, you can still have high, even if you, you end up with only 10% of people unvaccinated, you can still have high pockets of unvaccinated populations. Anywhere where you know, there's, there's a pocket of unvaccinated people, COVID-19 will find it. And we know that because that's the experience abroad. Uh, looking at New South Wales, looking at Australia, they've come back to us very clearly where they're dealing with much bigger community outbreaks than we are. They have said COVID-19 has found the most vulnerable in our communities. And so we, we absolutely know that that is something that we've got to continue to work really hard to avoid. I guess it's a juggling match of, you know, the pressure of people saying, I want to get out of locked, lockdown and I want to open the borders, you know, versus um, caring for those vulnerable communities. Can you guarantee Māori that they'll get to a certain percentage or certain vaccination rate before that does happen? What I can tell them is that we're still pursuing elimination and a zero tolerance for COVID-19, even as we start to ease off some of the restrictions that have helped to contribute to that. So as we get a higher proportion of the population who are vaccinated, that doesn't some, suddenly mean that we turn around and say, okay, 
let's just go back to normal, we'll forget this ever happened. That's not going to happen uh, anytime soon. So if it's an unofficial 90% vaccination rate, what would you like to see Māori at? My goal is to make sure that we're getting you know, very high vaccination rates in every potential cohort. The last thing that I want to see are pockets of unvaccinated people creating you know, future vulnerability where COVID could find its way in and spread amongst them. After the break, we tackle vaccination myths. As Aotearoa shoots for a 90% vaccination rate, there are fears too many people are falling for the misinformation they've read on social media. Although 88% of Māori aged over 65 have had their first dose of the vaccine, just 36% of Māori between 12 and 34 have had the jab. And there are concerns it's because they are getting their information from Facebook and TikTok. Kea D'Angelo Martin, tēnei pūrongo. Look at this. It's videos like this one that can stop Fano from getting the COVID vaccine. She's now a magnet. What's in our vaccines? An experiment that's gone viral, placing metal objects on the arm of the vaccinated. But is it even real? Oh my God. Firstly, there is no metal in the vaccine. There are no magnets in the vaccine. And if you think about the size of the needle pins, even if there were magnets, they'd, have, they'd be so small to get through the needle that they wouldn't have enough force to hold anything. It's just trickery. Misleading information about the COVID vaccine has spread quickly through the community and it's targeting the vulnerable. These videos, they just aren't true. A lot of people that have made these videos have since come out and admitted that they made them as a joke, but they went viral before they could take them down. There is a real risk with this kind of disinformation though. It puts people's lives at risk because then they're reluctant to get the vaccine. And the most reluctant are Māori. Professor Sue Kringle. At the moment, our vaccination rates are lower than non-Māori people's vaccination rates. And so that means that we have less protection from COVID. While I totally acknowledge about personal choice, it's more complex when you're looking at something like COVID, I think. And that's where the kind of public health aspects come in, where we know that COVID affects more than one person. It affects a group of people, it affects a population. There have been cases where people have died from the vaccine. Um, what's your take on that and what's your response to that? So there's definitely been one vaccine-related death that we know of in New Zealand. The um, deaths from the vaccination are very, very rare, extremely rare. And deaths from COVID are not extremely rare, especially in older people. Uh, so it's a matter of balancing up, you know, the benefits of the vaccine. To put vaccine deaths into perspective, the American state of Mississippi has seen more than 9,000 people die from COVID, but zero have died from the vaccine. It's these facts that Professor Kringle wants Fano to remember. Lots of Fano don't necessarily trust the government. Um, and, you know, good reason. We've had a terrible experience of colonisation. Um, and, you know, myself and many of my Know, doctor colleagues, we are working hard in this area because we know that, you know, when you look at our experience in health services, that it's inequitable and unfair 
Um, and we're working very hard to try and make sure that the health system works for us. And the biggest myth about the vaccine is that it's an experiment. You know, when people say, oh, is it safe? I mean, the trials and stuff show it's, it's really safe and it's very, very effective. And, you know, the first people that got it were old Pākehā white people. And if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't be giving it to them first. Perhaps not known to many whānau as the anti-vax movement has now been infiltrated by the alt-right and white supremacists. They have moved from stop the steal to stop the vaccine. Well, I think it suits their agenda that it helps um, attract a whole new audience who previously would not have been attracted to them. You've got to think about why they might be comfortable encouraging a group like us, like Māori, who are more at risk from COVID, why they might be comfortable encouraging them to not get vaccinated, you know, a white supremacist group. We just need as many people as possible taking up that vaccination opportunity. The government states that by having a fully vaccinated society, our chances of returning to normal without restrictions are greater. The reality is, is that we can't stay closed off from the world forever. Eventually, we're going to have to get to a level of vaccination where we open the border and we go back to life as normal. But for all of those people who are unvaccinated, it really puts them at risk. There have been many cases overseas where people have begged for the vaccines on their deathbed when they're dying of COVID-19. But it's too late. You need two shots to be fully protected and you need time to make that protection. And so you, ha you can't wait until the last minute. You really need to take the opportunity to get vaccinated now before it's too late. And what are your thoughts um, on the alternative medicines that have been promoted to fight off COVID? The big worry with alternative medicines is that until medicines are tested on a large number of people with the right kind of controls, there are a lot of unknown factors. These unknown factors include what is the safe dose? How effective is it? Is it safe for our pregnant mums, our tamariki, our komatoa? Does it interfere with other medications we might be on or other underlying health issues? What are the side effects? And so until these medicines have been really thoroughly tested with lots of people, we don't really know if they're safe. So it's a big risk, a big assumption. Whereas with the vaccine, it's gone through three clinical trials. Millions of people have been vaccinated safely worldwide, and it's been shown many, many times to be safe and effective. So it really is a case of prevention is better than cure. Nā te Angelo Martin, tērā pūrongo. Ko hikina te hui e hoama, nohoro mai rā. Support from New Zealand on air.